Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Roto World Baseball Podcast. I'm DJ Short, and with me here is Nate Grimm to break down some early average draft position data. More specifically, we're talking about the outliers, of course, players who are likely to be overvalued on draft day and those who could turn out to be bargains. Nate, welcome, my man. How's it going? I'm good, man. Happy to uh, to be jumping on with you. Yeah, this is our. I we were saying before we started recording, this is our first time doing a show together, so. You know, soon we'll find out if the chemistry is more like Chris Sale and Sandy Leone or Noah Syndergaard and Wilson Ramos. Um, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I'm excited to find out whether we've got to, whether I get a rose at the end of the show. <laughs> anyway, before we get started, a quick reminder that the Roto World Baseball Draft Guide magazine is on shelves now. There's also the online version of the magazine, which will be constantly updated through the start of the season to account for all the latest developments out of Florida and Arizona. It's jam-packed with a ton of good stuff to get you ready for your draft, including a write-up of a mixed-league mock draft that we all did on Monday night. Uh, Nate, how did you think you did in that one? I felt really good about the one we just did. Um, I, I, I liked starting off, I was in the 11th spot, started off with Juan Soto, and then came back with Nolan Arenado. Nice. Um, felt like I got some, some really good value. So I, uh, yeah, no, I, I feel it's one of those things you kind of use this time to, to round into form. I feel like I'm, uh, I'm firing on, on, uh, you know, all cylinders. I'm in the best shape of my life. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think who said it today? I think it was Manny Machado said, I'm swole as hell. I feel like that's the new, that's the new terminology for being in the best shape of your life. Uh, but I was all I was sick like all day yesterday, so I barely remember who I drafted. I know I got <laughs> Jacob Degrom in the first round, which I was happy with. Uh, but I also drafted at least one of the names we're going to talk about here. So that's a little teaser for you as we get into this average draft position data. And I think we're kind of going to go roughly in order um, from lowest to highest here. Um, so let's get started. Uh, and the first name, which might be controversial, but I think we both agree that he's going. Uh, a little bit too high, and that's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, and and just to be clear about this average draft position data, we're using NFBC data and with drafts that have occurred since January 1st, so a little more recent. But even still, you look at Vlad Jr. 57.29 ahead of names like Chris Bryant, Manny Machado, DJ Lemayhu, Yoan Moncada coming off a breakout year. Uh, so big names like that, proven names who've done it. Eugenio Suarez, I know he's coming off uh, shoulder surgery, but a lot of big names there. And it doesn't seem to me that he necessarily deserves that, at least like the benefit of the doubt. No, and it's it's 
funny you mentioned you know the the mixed uh mock and the one we did for the magazine i actually um had kind of forgotten about it we did it in uh, late december and yeah and then when i got the magazine in the mail a few weeks ago i saw that i had taken flat like um and I, maybe like the fifth round and i kind of cringed even just seeing it you know yeah. that it it happened and so um it's just it's just way too early i um the big thing for me is even if you throw out what he did last year uh the the sort of the um best case scenario or most realistic maybe a best case scenario is like uh you know 30 homers and a 300 average and it's you know it's a good lineup so i mean maybe you give him 90 to 100 runs in rbi but a lot of those guys you just listed off are are guys that we're expecting to do that not sort of hoping to do that and, yeah. and we've seen do that in the past and so um when when you're drafting a guy and his his sort of pie in the sky or or what you're hoping to get is something that looks a lot like what these other guys have done um i just don't see any room for value in that yeah and i feel with vlad jr we're still very much in the area of projecting and and i get it because you know the pedigree and the insane minor league numbers uh, and it feels like just a matter of time before he figures it out. He's going to be 21 years old in March. Uh, but, I mean, you look at last year, 15 homers, 772 OPS over 123 games. Uh, still, you know, roughly league average production, but obviously not what the crazy hype was expected to be. Um, the home run distance when he did connect was among the highest in the game. So I think that's a building block for him. But he hit a ton of ground balls, which I, I wasn't really expecting um right only 16 qualified hitters had a higher ground ball rate uh last year and sort of like if you go on baseball savant which is like my favorite toy now yeah uh, mine too <laughs> uh, uh vlad surprisingly he's right in the middle of the pack in terms of hard hit rate and average exit velocity so that's another thing for me where i'm just like you know what you know if people want to take him that early you know that's fine but i'm probably not going to end up with him on any of my teams this year unfortunately no, and it's kind of the exercise that we're doing here is, um, you know, you're talking about where these guys are being drafted. And, and a lot of it is, I think this is too high. I think this is too low. And it's all relative to, you know, what kind of value you're getting. So, again, I mean, I, you know, he could easily and, and maybe we should expect him to turn in a good year. It's just, is it the 57th best year that anybody's going to have? And it's it's tough to to, you know, to pay that price to find out. Okay, so as we move along here, uh, the next name on our list, which actually I think we agree is too low, uh, that's Charlie Morton, and he's at 61.03, and it's interesting because you know he's below the likes of Aaron Nola, who's coming off a disappointing year, Lucas Giolito, who you know really came on last year but has only done it once, uh, Chris Paddock, who you know certainly showed flashes of being an ace, but you know hasn't had that huge workload yet, you know. I think at this point, Morton probably deserves some more respect. I I tried to, um, so I've had Morton in a in a dynasty league for a few years, and so I've watched him uh, and know what he's about and, and have that perspective. And so I, I, I in trying to figure out why he was going behind some of these guys, you know, I was trying to, to to think, kind of put myself in that mindset. And I guess. It, you know, is it that people think that he's injury prone? Are they still remembering the you know the Phillies? Um, those kind of days where he was the sinker baller and he, you know, couldn't stay healthy. Um, I, I can't figure it out. I mean, I, I went back and looked, he, you know, he had one, like about six week injury in 2017, had one IL stint, did the minimum stay in 2018, uh, didn't have an IL stint last year. So, you know, he's been pretty healthy here in recent years, 
still throwing hard still you know I, I guess maybe age i mean he's 36 maybe that's the thing that people are guarding against but you know when when scherzer and verlander are, you know two of the top four guys going um it's really hard to dock him for being uh older and not you know knock those guys down as well so i i, I can't really figure it out and like i said i think we're on the same page that neither one of us are really um sold on him being behind some of those guys yeah i mean morton you know reached a, a new level during his time with the astros and but actually put together the best season of his career last year, uh, 305 ERA, 240 strikeouts, just 57 walks in uh, 194 and two-thirds innings. Highest workload of his career, um, but he was fine, made it through the year fine, had the highest strikeout percentage of his career, also the, his highest swinging strike percentage. Um, and, and just go, looking back over the past three seasons where he's been excellent, only 15 qualified starters have a higher strikeout percentage during that time. You know, maybe he's not a 200 inning guy, but there's really not many 200 inning guys anymore in general. Uh, right. And you mentioned, you know, the age, 36 years old, um, and there's been some injury issues here. But you know, you think about starting pitchers in general. I, I think you just have to take it for granted that you know pitchers are an injury risk no matter where you take them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think at that point, you know, and he, he's sort of in the same area too as as Luis Severino, who barely pitched last year. Uh, you Darvish, who had this up and down year, like uh, really struggled in the first half and then was like unbelievable in the second half. Right. Um, and Zach Granke, who, you know, has the Astros offense behind him, at least. Um, but I think we've seen the best of Zach Granke. I think it's fair to say. I think he'll be a fine fantasy starter. But I, you know, if I had my guess right now, I'd say Morton will be better this year. I, I wonder, too, if he's being maybe docked for something that he should actually be bumped up for which is you know the way that rays use pitchers and they yeah. they're very sort of you know forward thinking and uh use a lot of um openers and maybe people are worried that you know that he'll be behind an opener sometimes but i mean that's just going to put him in position to to get more wins and you know even if he doesn't like you said even if it's 180 innings um that should be basically the what you expect to get from a guy at this point um, so no, I, I, I can't figure it out and I, I will not be, uh, you know, taxing him for any of those things. Sure. Uh, so as we move along, uh, another hitter, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, and we have him as too high 68.54. And the more I think about that, I mean, that really does seem pretty high, uh, you know, ahead of Max Muncy, Jose Abreu, who led the AL and RBIs. It's a, it's a category in fantasy baseball. So we have to talk about it. Uh, Josh Bell, who, had kind of a Jekyll and Hyde year last year, but still very young, lots of upside there. Um, and I think you'd agree about Goldschmidt. You know, he did turn it on during the second half for the Cardinals, but, you know, doesn't really stand out relative to the other first base options anymore. Yeah, that's where I'm at is, is you know, he's not he's not bad. He's just not special the way that the name maybe elicits. You know, he um, 30 homers, 90 RBI, 90 runs, um, 260. He had a few more than 30, but you know, that those sort of benchmarks, um, you know, last year I went through and looked and, and the the number of guys who, the number of first basemen alone who hit 30 homers with 180 runs plus RBI and a 260 or better average, there were eight of them. Uh, he was, you know, one of whom was him. And then that's not counting guys like Anthony Rizzo and, and Reese Hoskins who, um, you know, do other things and or are projected to maybe take a step forward again in, in the case of Hoskins. And so um, Goldschmidt's a fine player. He's just he's being he's almost like he's being drafted as 
the guy who was stealing double digit bases with the Diamondbacks a couple of years ago, and that's just not his reality anymore. Right. So yeah, he still carries that cachet of being that like five category contributor, and he he's just not that anymore. Um, and and you look at obviously he did turn it on during the second half, but just looking at uh, kind of going under the hood with him earlier today. He was much more aggressive last year, both inside and outside the strike zone. Uh, and you look at the first pitch strike percentage was the highest of his career. I don't know if that was, you know, him being super aggressive or, or pitchers just trying to get ahead of him. Uh, but that was interesting to me. The walk rate was down, obviously, with that increased aggressiveness. Uh, but also the average exit velocity, hard hit percentage, barrel rate all down too. You know, is that a function of age? I don't know. Um, maybe that. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but I do. Um, one of the things that I read earlier this offseason was um, Jeff Zimmerman wrote a piece for the Hardball Times about aging curves and strikeouts, and and it really illuminated that um, that you know age 30 is when a lot of those skills start to decline for hitters, and so um, you know he's obviously 32 years old, and I I just think this is you know. Um, we, we just talked about Morton and how he shouldn't be penalized for being older, but he hasn't shown any skills deterioration. Um, this, this doesn't seem like a case where he's just, he's just getting older and father time comes for, for everyone. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, the aging curves for pitchers and hitters are so different. I mean, you know, hitters, I think we're making the adjustment now where we used to think the peak age for a hitter was 27. And I don't think that's the case anymore. I think it's it's definitely earlier, uh, especially yeah. because these players are are you know playing competitive ball since they were like teenagers. You know what I mean? And and they're coming into the minors almost as not finished products, but pretty close. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen any any research on it. I'm sure it does exist, but I would be willing to wager that that. Um, guys who hit the majors these days are, are putting up better numbers and better seasons than, you know, they did uh, even 10 years ago. But I mean, it's just, it, you're right. It just seems like so much more of a science now and that they're ready to go when they hit, you know, they hit the ground running. But yeah, I mean, pitchers obviously is an imperfect science. And, you know, I think maybe three or four years ago, we thought maybe Justin Verlander was done being a fantasy relevant pitcher, maybe even. And now he's, again, one of the top five pitchers in the game. So uh, you just never know with pitchers, obviously. Um, so uh, next up, we have uh, Nick Castellanos. And I think we both agree, too low, 106.65. And I'm like, please give me that. Give me that price. I would love to have that. Um, sort of right in the same area as Ramon Laureano, uh, Luis Robert, Joey Gallo, Jeff McNeil, Marcelo Zuna, guys like that. Um, you know, I think I like Loriano does a little bit of everything. Robert, Robert, obviously unproven, but seems like can do a little bit of everything too. Uh, but man, I'm really excited about Castellanos finally getting a full season in a hitter friendly ballpark there in Cincinnati. I think it could be really, really something. Yeah. You know, he, after that trade last year, he slugged 646 in 51 games with the Cubs and is moving to um, a slightly better ballpark for right-handed power. I mean, both both Wrigley Field and um, is it still Great American Ballpark in it Cincinnati? Is, yes. I can't even <laughs> I can't <laughs> keep track. But um, but they're both you know they're both very hitter friendly for right-handers. Um, and so um, you know a, a similarly great lineup. Um, I you know I, he doesn't run, but but that's really the only flaw that I see. Even in a crowded outfield, 
there in Cincy. He's going to, he's going to get regular at bats in the middle of that lineup. And it's, um, it's yeah, exactly. Give me, give me all the shares. Yeah. Only turning 28 in March, which surprised me a little bit. Um, and we said, you know, hitters are peaking earlier these days, but that's still pretty young. Um, I was surprised because it feels like he's been around for a long time, but I think it's still reasonable to believe we haven't seen his best season yet. And actually in the Roto World mock on Monday, uh, I took him 81st overall on that one. So about 25 picks higher uh, than where his ADP is. Um, And that was ahead of most of these guys here that I listed earlier. I mean, I obviously have big expectations. And I think this, you know, brings up the conversation of, you know, what exactly are you looking for with average draft position data? I mean, I've always looked at it as just kind of like guardrails in a draft. Um, but not necessarily something you have to follow. Like if you really have a good feeling about a player or whatever the case may be, like go get your guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Is, is, um, it's good to look at and see as a reference, like, am I, am I missing something here? You know, is this, um, is the industry, uh, or the people who are drafting kind of on the same page? But um, but yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And especially as you get more confident in your evaluations and, and really feel good about um, how you're assessing, you know, these these players and, and putting them in, in order that you like. Um, a lot of that goes out the window. And then also the further down in the draft you get to, obviously, um, that ADP pretty much goes, you know, right out the window with uh, with when you get past like pick 180 or 200. Right. So if you want to read that full uh, mixed league mock that we did on Monday night, the analysis is already up there. Drew Silva works pretty fast. Uh, go to rotorworld.com slash MLB draft guide. Tons of great stuff in there. Uh, so uh, next up, Marcus Semien. Uh, I think we both agree going too high here. 89.79. And, and this kind of surprised me because you look at this list of shortstops. I mean, shortstop is just so deep. There's just so much talent there. You know, Tim Anderson coming off a, a batting title, you know, do we think he's going to repeat the batting average this year? Probably not, but still, you know, an across-the-board contributor. Carlos Correa, Ahmed Rosario, Corey Seager, among others. I mean, you know, went right around that same ADP in our mock on, on Monday, which was interesting. But again, I just think this the position's so deep that, that you can wait, especially when there are questions about what Semien did last year. I don't even necessarily have um, a, a ton of, you know, concerns about whether it was, um, whether the skills were legitimate, but I mean, yeah, like, so what you're saying, I mean, you're, you're basically paying full freight for um, a, what's, what's probably going to go down as a career year. And, and one of the things that, that maybe isn't being um, factored in here that, that maybe should be is, you know, he's stayed pretty healthy the last two years and hitting atop a, a good lineup has eclipsed 700 plate appearances each of the last two seasons, including 747 last year. Um, when we use 600 as a baseline for maybe what to expect from a guy in a full season, that just tells you how many more opportunities he had to, to collect those counting stats. And so if you just regress it back to what maybe is a normal full season for a guy, not even factoring in maybe an injury, you know, a stint on the IL, all those, all those, you know, numbers—the 33 homers, the 123 runs—get rolled back, and he looks a lot more good, not great. And in a, you know, like you said, in a in a position as loaded as shortstop, um, I just think you can afford to wait and get something similar, you know, 30 picks later. Sure, and, and I should be clear, you know, Semien's a very different hitter now than 
you know, when he first came up with the White Sox, uh, strikeout rate was 22% as recently as 2017. He brought that all the way down to 13.7% last year. So really tough to strike out. Uh, the walk rate, walk rate climbed to 11.6%. So suddenly he's not a batting average liability and, and is getting on base at a good clip too. Um, and we did see some growth in the power metrics last year, but he was still in the middle of the pack, you know, in those kind of power metrics we like to look at average exit velocity, hard hit percentage. So I don't think that fully backs up what he did. And I think you, you put it well, as far as you're sort of paying for that full repeat and, you know, with Correa and Seager going later to me, I think I'd rather wait, uh, and not pay that price. Uh, for Semyon, you know, assuming you didn't get a shortstop earlier. I mean, Corey Seager didn't play a full year last year, but I mean, if he did and he's in that loaded Dodgers lineup, I could see, easily see him going back to, you know, hitting like 290 with 25 bombs and, you know, 90 RBI, 90 runs scored. And, you know, that's a great value. And I think he's been going around like 150 or something, which is crazy. Well, it's like what you and Drew said on the podcast the other day. I was listening to it when you guys did shortstops. And when you can't fit Jorge Polanco onto your list, yeah. you know, is it that hard to imagine Jorge Polanco putting up a better season than Marcus Simeon? It's really not. Uh, no. So, you know, that's that tells you, you know, all you need to know there. Yeah, so uh, another hitter here, Andrew Benintendi. Uh, coming off a disappointing year, he's at 110.88. Uh, ahead of Max Kepler, Yasiel Puig, still unsigned. For some reason, somebody signed Puig, please. Michael Brantley, Danny Santana, Oscar Mercado. Michael Conforto, among others. So give me your pitch on why you think Benintendi is too high. I just think that uh, the the years we saw, like in 27 and 2018, where, you know, he's hitting 20 homers and and stealing 20 bases, um, we thought, oh, boy, he's just scratching the surface here. And I think maybe in looking, you know, in getting a year last year, which is admittedly, you know, maybe a down year for him, but, you know, getting that kind of year, looking at um, his, you know, his uh, baseball savant numbers, um, I think maybe those are just not even baselines, but maybe just like that's what a really good Andrew Benatendi year could look like. And when a pedestrian Andrew Benatendi year looks like what happened in 2019, um, that kind of production you can find a lot lower than, you know, like the guys you were listing off. I mean, um, you know, Danny Santana, Kyle Tucker, Tommy Edmond, um, all those guys are going, you know, two rounds or more later and all could kind of do the same things uh, as Ben attendee. And so um, I just don't see the standout skills in any area that make him worth a pick, you know, close to 100. So just a reminder, Ben Intendi last year hit 266, 13 homers, 68 RBIs, 10 steals, 72 runs scored in 138 games. That if if I didn't know who that player was, I would maybe say that was like Nick Markakis or something. Um <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say Adam Eaton, but actually okay. Adam Eaton's probably a little better than that line. Um so Ben Intendi never hit more than twenty homers in a season, never driven in a hundred runs, never stolen more than twenty one bases. Strikeout rate was up last year, so you can't count on him to be a 290-ish hitter if that continues. Um, sort of, it seemed like he tried to loft the ball more last year, but it really didn't work for him at all. Um, and he, he's sort of in the middle of the pack as well in terms of average exit velocity, hard hit percentage. So to me, I see a player who's sort of caught in between, like maybe what he wants to be and what he actually is. So, you know, I'm fascinated to see how he's going to attack this season. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he outdoes this price. 110.88. 
this year. Um, but obviously the Red Sox lineup a little less scary than it used to be without Mookie Betts there. Yeah, I mean, I, if you're giving the pitch for him to kind of contrarian view, I mean, he's going to be hitting at the top of a still very good lineup and is still a guy who had that pedigree and put up those seasons. So, yeah, I mean, I, I could see it happening. Um, like I said, it's just um, it's an aggressive price for hoping that he bounces back to to that level yeah that's understandable uh ben Intendi was the centerpiece of a, a dynasty league trade i made like three years ago so i'm i'm really really hoping for holding hold, hold on to that <laughs> yes uh i am not gonna forget it uh so uh david price next up here uh and we agree too low 187.81 i think if maybe you looked at some of the drafts that have happened you know since the mookie bets trade i would guess he'd be going higher um, but you know, yeah, actually, I actually did that, um, in, in preparing for this. So, um, since February 1st in online drafts, he's at 176. Okay. And then actually since the trade was reported, um, a, a week later, he's at 167 in 11 completed drafts. So he is, he's getting pushed up, uh, since the trade. So looking at his Yahoo ADP, I see 163.5. So that's kind of more in line with what you were saying since, uh, February 1st. Um, so kind of right in that same area but but even still i mean you look at the names around him on on yahoo it's you know matthew boyd julio urias sean manaya uh herman marquez carlos martinez kenta maeda names like that i mean i'd still maybe go for price i mean you wouldn't know it by his 428 era last season but you know he was actually pretty good uh certainly peripherals wise i think he deserved better 128 strikeouts 32 walks and 107 and a third innings you know smaller sample to be sure but that was the best strikeout percentage of his career now heads to la national league obviously a more pitcher friendly ballpark maybe home runs won't be as big of an issue you know that great dodgers lineup uh supporting him you know he's someone i'm going for if i need like a third or fourth starter in the middle rounds yeah, I think you you hit all the the selling points. The the Dodgers just seem to get more out of their rotation, um, and so you know uh, they're going to um, to have him in there. They're going to have options if you know they need to give him a breather or um, you know, have him piggybacker. However, they you know choose to go about that. But um, but yeah, I think this is this is a really good move for him. So uh, an interesting one that, that you added to our list, uh, Shogo Akiyama, uh, you know, a pickup for the Reds during the offseason. He's at 267.81. And, you know, the outfielders in this same area, you know, I, I think are huge question marks too. Uh, well, Randall Grichik is, you know, he is who he is basically. <laughs> uh, but I don't know if there's a lot of upside there. Mark Canna had a, a great year with the A's last year. I can't even repeat it. I don't know. You know, A.J. Pollock, as of now, he's in a timeshare. Austin Hayes, you know, showed a little bit down the stretch last year, but I still have questions about him. Um, but, you know, Akiyama being this low, I I think it's mostly that people are unsure how the playing, di- playing time is going to shake out there. And I think that's understandable. You know, Nick Castellanos, Nick Senzel, Jesse Winker, Aristides Aquino, just a ton of talent without any real clear indication of how it's going to shake out. Right. And then that's fair. Um, I think that's reflected in the price. Um, I, I guess in my mind, the way that I've worked out this playing time situation in Cincy is, you know, Castellanos is going to get everyday run. But then of the remaining four, I mean, Senzel may not even be ready for opening day. Um, Aquino obviously just had a brutal September that really kind of, I think, cast out on on what he looks like over the course of a full season. Um, Winker, 
it struggles to to stay healthy, even though I really like Jesse Winker um, in theory. Um, so I think Akiyama may, may be like the second best bet to receive every day run, um, you know, hit. And, and I think from what I've seen, you know, I, I don't know if it's roster resource, but um, that he's probably going to hit at the top of that lineup. Yeah. Uh, a guy who, you know, got on base um, at a pretty good clip overseas. And so um, it, it's one of those things that is, you know, you're listing off those guys and, and it, it's the point in the draft where maybe your roster construction comes into play. And so if you're, yeah needing a bopper um sure Gritchick and uh in canna might be the guys that you opt for but if you're looking for a guy you've got to give you a little bit of everything and maybe you know score a lot of runs and and not hurt you in the average department um i really like the idea of of akiyama uh just being you know being a kind of a steady contributor who's not going to hurt you in any one area yeah, and I mean, there's obviously options remaining for Aquino, uh, and you mentioned Senzel, you know, might not be ready. I mean, the Reds gave Akiyama a three-year, $21 million contract. I mean, he's going to play. It's just a matter of how much. And yeah. there's always the question about, you know, how these stats will translate with players coming over from Japan. But uh, as you said, Akiyama certainly fits the profile of a someone who should hit near the top of the lineup, 376 on base percentage over nine seasons in Japan. You know, some pop and speed as well. Uh, 20 plus homers in three straight years, regularly reached double digits and steals there. Um, you know, we should mention he's 32 years old in April. Uh, so I think you have to be careful about the speed projections, uh, especially considering his success rate in Japan really wasn't very good, um, but certainly has the potential to contribute across the board. And uh, we mentioned it already with Castellanos, you know, a great park for hitters. Um, and that lineup should be nice too. So uh, you know, we'll see how things shake out during spring training, but you know, this is a guy you can get in the later rounds to fill out your outfield and it might be pretty interesting, uh, as the season rolls along, uh, a name that we had is too high, uh, Garrett Hampson with the Rockies, 17602, uh, ahead of his teammate, Ryan McMahon, uh, Kevin Newman, Brandon Lau, Rugnan Odor, Starlin Castro, among others. Uh, and I honestly, I don't get this one. Why is this high? And you were saying earlier, you know, at a certain point, it becomes roster construction. And do you think this is just a function of maybe as you're moving along in a draft, you're like, oh, man, I, I just realized I'm really short on speed. I, you know, maybe I should take a chance on Hampson. I so um, we included this one, but we actually do kind of, uh, I think, diverge a little bit on this because I'm I, I'm kind of a Hampson. I'm in on Hampson. OK, uh, maybe not at this price, but. Like if I was making the case for him here, um, one of the things that I read here uh, last September, a uh, Forbes uh, article actually talked about how he had um, ditched his his leg kick setup and uh, and went to a toe tap as a timing mechanism. Mm -hmm. And obviously, everyone kind of remembers uh, the, how he ended the season. Um, and so it was, uh, he was talking about how it was August 25th when he did it. He was playing against the Cardinals. Um, and then from that point on, he had 317, 368, 529 with six homers and 10 steals in his last 31 games. And so, um, believe that if you want, you know, if you want to, I mean, I, I think that you can, if you're me, you can, you can talk yourself into it. And if you're, you know, if you're not, not wanting to buy into Hampson, you could say, oh, that's just, just circumstantial. But, um, I, you know, a 99th percentile in sprint speed, um, there's there's opportunities to be had on the Rockies, even though, you, you know, he'd have to win any playing time he gets, because I know people are um, Drew's high on Sam Hilliard. You know, uh, Ryan McMahon, obviously, is the second base. I mean, there's there's no shortage of competition. But 
if he can get in the lineup on, on a regular basis, um, I'm thinking like 10 to 15 homers and 30 plus steals is, is in the cards. And yeah, that's, that plays at this point in the draft. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect Daniel Murphy to stay healthy this season. So, yeah, that's fair. you know, if that happens, you know, McMahon can slide over to first base and Hampson can jump right in there at second base. Brendan Rogers is coming back from labor surgery. So it's unclear when he'll be ready. So I think there will be an opportunity for Hampson, but I don't know why you don't just go for someone like Kevin Newman, who I actually like a lot, uh, locked into a starting spot with the Pirates. So you don't have to worry about playing time. Offers a good amount of speed as well. Not not quite a burner like Hampson, but he'll contribute in that area. Uh, Brandon Lau brings pop and speed. I know you like Starlin Castro. Certainly not a speed guy, um, but I think he's in a good spot with the Nationals. Uh, but Hampson, for me, I think it's just a little too early with someone who has some playing time questions right now. Yeah, I, I, I agree. As much as I want to, I want Hampson to be a thing. I think you are needing him to be a thing if you're taking him here. Um, with some of the other guys that you listed as being on the board still. And so, um, no, I can get on board with this being too early, even though I, I really hope that uh, this is the year. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, as we get into maybe mid-March, we'll have a better idea about where he stands, and that might actually look reasonable. Um, last one we have here, too low, and that's Ian Happ, and he's really low, 356.53. And again, this one's all about playing time, and as of now, it's sort of unclear how things are going to shake out in that Cubs outfield. Of course, Jason Hayward's still there, uh, Albert Almora Jr., uh, Kyle Schwarber is going to play most of the time. They added Steven Souza during the offseason. Uh, and you look at the infield, at second base, Jason Kipnis is a non-roster guy. Uh, there, Daniel Descalso is still there. Nico Horner. Uh, uh, who else do they have there? David Bodie. Uh, so they have, they have some options around their infield. And lots of ways this could go. But, I mean, I, I can't believe that Hap won't get a chance to claim at least semi-regular at-bats, especially after what he showed last year. Um Granted, he was in the minors for a, a long time, which was strange. Uh, but when he came up, like he was actually pretty productive. Yeah, there's, you know, it's a there's conspiracy theorists who think that maybe he and Madden didn't get along, and then now the Madden's gone. You know, the, this may be his opportunity. But um, I, I think you're right. I mean, I this is a guy who was a first round pick not long ago. Uh, there's no reason for the Cubs to to give up on him or bury him. Uh, a new manager. Um, probably going to be a player's manager with, you know, with uh, David Ross being a mm-hmm. former teammate of a lot of these guys. And so, um, you know, his his numbers, his stack cast numbers, he didn't play enough to qualify on the leaderboards. But if he had, if he had gotten enough plate appearances, um, his barrel percentage, 13.7 percent would have been 15th among qualified hitters. Um, his 526 expected slugging would have been 25th. And his uh, expected woba on contact, ex wobacon, <laughs> it would have been uh, a four thirty nine would have been thirty third in the league. So this is a guy who was stinging the ball. Um, you know, it just didn't obviously didn't um, get enough at bats to to register, but um, has always swung hard and, and hits the ball hard. And um, I with a full run, I mean, I think thirty homers is is uh, not guaranteed, but is easily within reach for him. I think perhaps the most encouraging part last year was cutting down on the strikeouts. He was at an alarming 36.1% in 2018, managed to bring it down to sort of a more reasonable 25% last year. Still not great, but obviously a you lot. You can live with that. Yeah, yeah, you can live with that. You know, maybe he hits 250, but, you know, he also gets on base a good good amount of the time. And, you know, if he can bring that power to the table, you can certainly live with that. 
Um, I think the Cubs could live with that and fantasy owners as well. And I would just bank on him playing a bigger role this year. And he can even run a little bit too, uh, steal some bases for you. So, you know, sounds like a really useful player to me, especially considering that ADP outside the top 300. I think uh, this could be another situation as things get a little more clear uh, during March that that number will start to shoot up. Well, and he's basically free, right? So you... You take him now, and if it does look like he's going to somehow get beat out by Almora or you know whoever, um, you can cut him loose with virtually no consequence. So it's a um, it's it's a lottery ticket that's definitely worth taking. All right, so that's just a quick uh, list of uh, ADP outliers. Uh, you can see a lot more in the RotoWorld Draft Guide. Go to RotoWorld.com/slash/MLBDraftGuide. I was going to talk to you about the top 100 emo songs, but. Uh, We we ran out of time. We'll have to do another episode on that one. But uh, thanks for joining me here, Nate. Uh, That'll do it for this episode of the Roto World Baseball Podcast. Remember, we are in the middle of our positional ranking series as well. I'll be joined by Drew Silva once again later this week as we rank both catchers and outfielders. All the big names, overvalued and undervalued players, all that good stuff. It will go live on Friday, so be sure to check it out. If you're enjoying what you're hearing with this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider rating and reviewing the show. Let us know if you're finding this preseason content useful. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. I'm at DJ Short. Nate is at Nate underscore G-R-I-M-M. See you guys next time. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.